this is Paul Sachs. I'm editor-in-chief of CID, and welcome to the next Let's Talk ID podcast. Uh, joining me today is Dr. Allison Nezanitsky, and she's an ID specialist based in Oklahoma. I've invited her on as part of my exploration of alternative pathways to successful careers in ID. Allison, welcome. Thank you so much for having me on this podcast. Well, listen, I, you know, I like to start these off by people telling us a little bit about themselves. We know that you're based in Oklahoma, but nothing else. Who is Allison Nazanitsky? So I finished med school in 2010. I did my infectious disease fellowship at Washington University, and I finished in 2015. And I currently practice locum tenens and telemedicine infectious disease. I do a lot of other things as well. But my goal in doing this interview was to bring awareness to locum tenens infectious disease as a sustainable career path for really good work-life balance in ID, and then also to discuss how we ID physicians should be compensated for our time and expertise. Well, that's terrific. I'm really looking forward to hearing what you're going to tell us. I want to follow up on locum tenens. What, what does that actually mean? Locum tenens is typically when there's a vacancy or a hospital is trying to hire an infectious disease doctor or when an infectious disease doctor goes out on maternity leave and they need to cover that position, they hire a temporary doctor. It's pretty much temporary work. Got it. So we'll get back to that in a minute, but I want to go back to your decision to become an ID doctor and really maybe become a doctor at all. What was the motivating force behind your choosing medicine and then ID in particular? I love infectious disease. So this is a personal story, but I would not be alive today if it wasn't for an infectious disease doctor. I was very, very ill in the intensive care unit. No one had any idea what was wrong with me. The infectious disease doctor, she came in, she was confident, she was calming, and really got to the bottom of what was wrong and put me on the right treatment. And that's really how I got my interest in infectious disease. And ever since then, I knew I wanted to be an infectious disease doctor. Were were there any other specialties under consideration? You know, I think we all go through the thought process and of what to do with our lives, but I also do practice some hospitalist medicine. I like to keep up my hospitalist skills, but in the end, I, as a pre-med and as a med school student, I always wanted to do infectious disease. Okay. So then you do medical residency and then you decide I'm going to do ID. So, so what was your fellowship like? Well, it was very busy and it was pretty tough, but it was wonderful. And I had, I had just such a great clinical experience. It was wonderful. Were you predominantly a clinical ID fellow or did you do clinical research or did you do any kind of uh, other activities or was it just a solid clinical training? So I actually was clinical, but I wanted to do transplant infectious disease. So I did clinical transplant infectious disease as a fellow. So my second year, I did do some research and some publications, but mostly I spent extra clinical time as a second year fellow. So our first year was all clinical work. And then our second year was mostly dedicated for research. But instead of doing all research, I was able to spend about, I think, eight extra months of clinical time with transplant, the transplant program. So it was really awesome just being able to do that. Excellent. There's a ID fellowship. Obviously, you can finish your ID fellowship in two years. And, and so that means that part of the year two for people who are doing, doing a two-year fellowship is, is really preparing for your first, quote, real job. And I was wondering if you received any career guidance during your ID fellowship and what it was like and then what you wish you had received. I can't remember specific guidance other than just to keep every opportunity open and interview and, and really see what was out there as far as jobs. And 
there really are an overabundance of ID jobs out there. There's such a abundance. And so I interviewed at least at 12, I would say 12 places after fellowship. And I don't remember specific guidance. Do you wish you had guidance during fellowship? I definitely wish I had more guidance, but I don't know. I think a lot of a lot of ID physicians don't have a lot of experience in general of, of negotiations and, and being able to find the right jobs. And a lot of academic centers, um, the doctors stay there. And they, so they don't really have a lot of experience outside of their institution to really be able to speak on behalf of what is out there and, and different opportunities. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, one thing that, that IDSA is trying to do is to provide some of this guidance. And, you know, IDSA is has one-on-one -on -one physician compensation sessions right now for ID fellows, and soon they're going to make it available to everyone who's an IDSA member. So you've, you're in your fellowship, you're in your second year, and I assume you interviewed during your second year for your first positions. Tell us a little bit about your first post-fellowship ID job. So it ended up being just 24-7 work, work, work. I would average at least 80 hours a week of work. I did not have much time for myself or family or friends, typically waking up, you know, 5 a.m. And I was at the hospital till 7 p.m. at maybe the earliest. I was on call every day and even being woken up at midnight multiple nights because that's when the hospital's lab called criticals. It was really, really tough. And I, I, I was not prepared for that aspect because I had always been told residency was going to be the hardest time of my life or my career or fellowship was going to be the, the hardest time of my career. But in reality, it ended up being my first job that ended up being the toughest part of my career. Wow. Was there no kind of understanding up front about how this was unsustainable? Did the people who hired you know what you were going through? I, you know, it, it ended up being such a whirlwind and looking back on it now, no, it doesn't make a lot of sense. But as I was recovering from that, this process, I actually met a lot of other ID physicians that went through similar experiences in their first jobs. And I realized I wasn't alone. It's hard to believe how could you get to this point where you're working all of the time, but it happened. And so, so things like a call schedule, weekends off, all those things, were they discussed ahead of time when you looked at this job? So what I wish I would have known is that if it's not in writing in your contract, it is not guaranteed. So if you don't have 40 hours a week in your contract as what is your work schedule, you will most likely work more than 40 hours a week. If you do not have a specific clause about call schedule, you most likely will be taking uncompensated call. And if you don't have a dedicated clause about weekends, most likely you will be working more than enough weekends. That's really the biggest flaw from when I came out is really not realizing that, that component of everything. Maybe you don't have to tell us exactly where you worked, but you can give me the sort of context. Was it an academic setting? Was it a, a government setting? Was it a private practice? Uh, it was a community a community hospital. Okay. Well, well, listen, I, I'm glad you got out of it. I don't know how long you were in that position. It sounds unsustainable, as I mentioned. What did you do after that? Take some time off? Did you regroup? What 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 was next, Allison? So I did. I took I took some time to regroup. I used locum tenens as a bridge. It was not supposed to be permanent, and it was not ideally the career choice because there's so many 
there's so much stigma around logos. So it, I, initially it was used as a bridge. Multiple people told me to stay away from locums, that only bad physicians go into locums, how it's a red flag for doing locums. Pretty much everybody told me to stay away from it. So initially when I was trying to figure out a better work-life balance, I used it as a bridge. But then I realized after starting at some of these hospitals that I was enjoying it. I enjoyed it a lot and I was able to have really good work-life balance and I was able to choose dates that worked for me. And not only that, but because these hospitals were so short-staffed, I was appreciated. That's my number one is always being appreciated, not by, not just by the patients. And I feel like our patients are very, very appreciative of what we do, but just being appreciated in general, being appreciated by colleagues, being appreciated by administration. And, and I was appreciated and I, I felt so rewarded that I continued on with this pathway. So, so how does it work? Does an agency come out and get you? Do you do you go to a company? Does the hospital? There's a lot of different ways to do it. So if you go through an agency, there's typically a recruiter. They basically act as your best interest in, you know, to try to get you matched to different hospitals. The most important thing I would say about doing locums work, if you're going through an agency, is having a good recruiter. Someone that knows what you like, what how you like to work, how many days you like to work so that they can match you with the perfect spots. I got really lucky. I've always had great positions and they take care of everything. They take care of your flights. They take care of your rental cars, your hotels, licensing fees, DEAs. And so I have 15 state licenses, which others getting anxious thinking about keeping up with all of those, but they take care of my licensing and make sure that I'm always up to date. So you're based in Oklahoma, but you've taken positions all around the country. Yes, correct. Correct. Most of my most of my locums work through agencies are out of state. My most common states are Washington and Illinois. And you leave home and you how long are you there for? Well, it all depends. You can pick how many days you want to work in a row. So there's some ID locums that like to work 30 days straight. And then there's some of us that now we do about seven days a month or seven days every other month, or you basically get to choose your schedule. And so it can be as much or as little as you want. Describe a typical month for you and your current ID practice. So I really don't have a typical month. And I think that's the beauty of locums. Some months I will work every day. I will. I will work almost every day. I might not be out of town every day, but I will work every day. And then other months I will maybe work two to five days. And so I really don't have a typical schedule. For example, from July through August, I'm, not, I'm actually not working and I'm traveling to Europe twice and I have multiple vacations planned. But then in September, I'm actually only doing seven days. And so it, it's variable. And, and then you also mentioned that you do a lot of telehealth. I do. I do tele-ID. It's predominantly inpatient, but I also do some stewardship via telemedicine. One of my positions is actually through a locums agency and the hospital is open to doing tele-infectious disease. And then the others are, are more direct with the hospitals or through the hospital itself. And the hospital that you're doing tele-infectious disease for, are you actually seeing the patients or are you giving advice to the clinicians or both? Both. I do interprofessional consults. I do full tele-ID consults where we have a cart with a video, stethoscope. I document into the EMR 
I do pretty much everything and including even stewardship. So I will do stewardship rounds with their pharmacist and we do zoom a basically like a zoom where we go through all the patients and run the list of all the broad spectrum antibiotics that we're trying to narrow down. So you you know you mentioned that you're appreciated, which is great. But I I was wondering about the reverse. Do you get to have relationships with your colleagues at these hospitals? So even though I'm not physically there, we all discuss cases so closely that I have made some very very close friends, and I've actually gotten to meet some in real real life from telemedicine that I have worked with over the phone for two to three years and we finally met in, in person. So there's still a lot of interpersonal collaboration and discussing of the cases and we still have that collegiality. Good, good. I was, but you know, some some of the time you are there. Yes. You're physically there. So you're staying in a hotel or an Airbnb or something like that. And so there is, there's that dislocation as well. I hope, I hope that you can uh, have a, a connection with the people you're working with. So I, I tend to be a social person. <laughs> I'm very social, and so I tend to make I make I make friends when I'm out of town. Okay, so let's let's talk specifics now. One of the things that you know, there's a huge concern about our specialty, our fellowships not filling, and frequently it comes down to compensation. People are worried that you know why should I do this extra training for a job that's going to pay me less than hospitalist work, and it's a, understandable. It's the quintessential opportunity cost of getting extra training in ID. So how does it relate to what you do? Being locums, I'm able to create my own schedule and make sure that I have the quality of life I want. I tend to choose hospitals that allow me to spend the time I want with the patients. I'm not seeing 40 patients a day. I, I, I That's not sustainable for me. I tend to enjoy jobs that are anywhere from five to 15 patients a day. As a locums physician, I'm allowed to choose that type of workplace. Some of the hospitals even have infectious disease pharmacists where I'm traveling to, and I love that. So when I'm interviewing at sites, if they have some ancillary support for their ID physicians, it's wonderful, and I get to learn every single day that I'm I'm on at these sites. I would say that you know it's very taboo for physicians to discuss compensation, but as an ID physician, you know, we're paid very well. So you're able to work a fraction of the days to still be able to make what would be considered a full-time salary for a physician. It's really good in that perspective. And also for just having boundaries because these sites, everything is done by the hour or by the job or by the call. You know, you're working eight to five and after 5 p.m., if you're still working, you're getting paid overtime say you're on call at night, you will be paid for keeping your phone on. If you get called or not, you're getting paid to keep your phone on at night. And all ID physicians should be paid and compensated for keeping their phone on at night because it can be very disruptive to be woken up in the middle of the night from a phone call. And so as an ID locum, you really are able to have these boundaries that sometimes get pushed in other settings, and it's expected. Well, I completely agree with you that that having your phone on, being available to the the, the hospital, is completely uncompensated, and it also is uncompensated when you do it on a weekend and a holiday. You you would expect maybe you get paid more for that. Do you do you have a sort of bonus clause in for weekends and holidays? So yeah, so as locums, they have a list of about ten holidays that are paid one point five times the rate, but everything's negotiable. So when we're talking about Christmas through New Year's, when really it's a challenge to fill that spot, 
sometimes you can actually negotiate higher rates for that, that those critical periods of time. And yes, everything's negotiable in the locums world. So let me ask you about the the dreaded pandemic that we've gone through, <laughs> put a real premium on ID expertise. By and large, I think we did a good job in responding to the demands, but I was wondering how in someone in your position, were you already in in your locums position when this hit? Yes. So this is the crazy story is that I was actually pregnant right before the pandemic. I had went into preterm labor the day that Oklahoma shut down, March 15th, 2020. And I was actually out of town working. And so we were in the NICU out of town for over a month during the beginning of the pandemic. So what a story. Yes. Being locums, you have to budget and you have to be prepared for being off of work. Maternity leaves are not compensated. So I'm a, I'm a contractor. So if I'm not working, I'm not getting paid. So fortunately, because I was pregnant, I already had planned to be off until August of 2020. And so I actually felt like I was on the sidelines. I was watching everything happen and I wasn't able to be part of it. I felt left out. I was reaching out constantly to everybody. Oh my gosh, you know, what's going on now? Like, what's it like? But I I, I felt like I missed this massive- Well, you had plenty of opportunity later, didn't you? I did, I did. But, you know, from the, from the very beginning, I'm like, this is what we all go into ID for. And I was on the sidelines watching it. Uh, from the sidelines and I wasn't a part, I felt like I wasn't a part of it. So I, I have a, I have a different perspective. Well, then you came back in August of 2020. And as I said, there's was plenty to do. So I don't want to brag. Can I tell you about my locums job that I started in August of 2020? Go right ahead and brag. It was awesome. I actually did not physically go into any room. It was actually a telemedicine infectious disease opportunity they wanted us physically on site at the hospital, but it was telemedicine. So I had a dedicated office and I flew out every, once a week or once a month for seven days. And I did tele-ID from an office one week a month from August 2020 through December of 2020. Very interesting. I'm sure you actually, over over the course of your very diverse geographic locations, you, you see some remarkable cases both pandemic related and of course now non-pandemic related. Do you find there's professional satisfaction in it uh, the same way that you envisioned when you were an ID fellow? Professional satisfaction in ID locums, yes. I love being able to go into a site and relieve the physicians of being overworked or whatever it may be. I get to see all the different pathologies. So in, you know, if I'm in Washington, it's you, you see different pathology or if I'm covering Illinois, different pathology. And I think the most amazing part about doing ID locums is I see so many different practice patterns. And I also see a lot of different practice setups of how things are done very well. Things like OPAT, for example, which can be very challenging to have a good OPAT program, but I've seen some of the most fantastic OPAT programs. Oh, share. What, like what? Oh, there's a hospital in, in Washington. It's just a well-oiled machine. Their case managers do so much for their program. They run all their insurance before we even are finished and signed off on the patient. They have already scheduled everything for the doctors. And then they do these post-hospital 
You know, I'm going to ask you some practical issues. Let's say you have a patient that you do a consult on in the hospital who needs outpatient ID follow-up. You're you're really not in a position to offer that. How how do you set that up? So if I'm doing locums, some of the locums hospitals have ID follow-up and have a clinic. Other than that, you really have to coordinate with their primary care doctors and work out, you know, discuss with them if this, then this. And a lot of times, so when hospitals lose infectious disease doctors, so say a hospital goes from four ID doctors to one ID doctor, the first thing to go is the clinic because there's so much overhead with the clinic. And so a lot of these hospitals have functioned without a clinic for years, especially if they've been short staffed for years. Usually it's a primary care physician, or sometimes you can get them arranged with another infectious disease doctor, but there's such a shortage of infectious disease doctors, especially in the Midwest, that sometimes it can be a challenge. So, so that's not, but that sounds like that's not your responsibility. It's not my responsibility other than I really make it very clear in my documentation. This is what should be done and make it as easy as possible for the primary care or whoever is going to be following that patient. So one question that I have for ID doctors in practice is how they manage clinician advice calls. They're sometimes called curbsides. Uh, and, and how, as a locum's ID specialist, how do you manage those? So I think it's always a challenge getting called over the phone because you don't, you can't fully trust what anybody's telling you. I like to see things to believe, you know, to be able to believe them. And oftentimes it's presented in a way that it's not as serious as what it really is. Three days ago, I got called on a patient with a one out of four strep intermediates in the blood. They were getting ready to discharge them and they asked me what antibiotic to send them out on. And the first thing I think is, you know, where's the abscess? Where are we going hunting? You know, where are we, where are we, what's going on? And the first thing I recommended after just discussing with this person, I said, you know, get, let's get a CAT scan. Well, sure enough, they have a liver abscess. And so curbsides are really challenging. I think all should eventually be a, a consult for the patient's best interest, but having, having it worked out where they are compensated or that you have abilities to review the EMR or fully fully discuss the case with the referring physician can be very challenging. Okay, so so now let's say there's an ID fellow who's hearing this podcast and they and they're thinking about doing something like what you're doing. What would you advise them? Well, I, I want to tell all the fellows that there are some really good infectious disease jobs out there. Dr. Han in her episode discussed how happy she was infectious disease as private practice. And anyone that can find that work-life balance and find that niche, I'm so excited for her. And I, I want to say that there are good infectious disease jobs that pay well, that have work-life balance, where they feel supported. And so there are some really good jobs out there. But as an infectious disease locums, it's really flexible. There's just a lot of autonomy. You can spend the time you need with your family it's enjoyable and rewarding. So that's great. So, so Allison, you're, you've given us a really good insight into a different way of approaching the ID clinical career. So any final words? Thank you so much for allowing me the opportunity to speak on ID locums as a career path. I think it's underrepresented. There's a lot of stigma, but it is really rewarding and is wonderful. Great, great. Once again, this is the Let's Talk ID podcast, and I've been speaking with Dr. Allison Nezinitsky, who's an ID specialist who does locums work 
She's based in Oklahoma, and I strongly encourage you to reach out to her if you have any further questions. Thanks a lot, Allison. Thank you.